0: rolling what's happening y'all andy and zach here broadcasting from studios 353 here in east nashville for episode 75 Mm -hmm. if i'm not mistaken how about that i'm gonna set this right there so i don't spill it knock it over or hit that i appreciate that yeah take your time it's not like we're podcasting or anything andy and i just got back from a wild weekend in austin texas celebrating our good buddy Jesse and his upcoming uh, offspring. and So we had to go for a Bible study.
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you and yours are not too far behind him, so it's a celebration of you as well. Thank you.
1: Yeah, and I thought they were actually a little bit further ahead, but it sounds like they're one month ahead of us. Yeah. So that'll be quite the experience this fall.
0: Yeah, man. So forgive us if we're a little slow, We're our skin is a little burnt, mm-hmm. our brains <laughs> a are a little fried. fried. <laughs> Intestines a little turned up.
1: <laughs> yeah, so
0: we've seen better days, but we're we're not mad about it. And like clockwork, we couldn't miss the podcast. The show must go on. It must. Look at us. That's the meaning of turning pro. Is it? Mm-hmm. Well, Showing up whether you want to or not.
1: Well, it's also that accountability, too. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but left to my own devices today, I might have skipped. Right. So thank you for being my accountability buddy for episode 75. Yeah. Yeah, 75. Yeah. Buddy.
0: Yeah. So I think we're already hitting on a theme that I think we're going to explore in this podcast, which is accountability and the importance of environment and a schedule you know when when you were saying like if you were left if it was left up to your own devices you may not have shown up you wouldn't put your time in on the podcast and this other thing mm-hmm. providing accountability well most people probably don't want to go to their jobs mm-hmm. every single day but they have a boss they have mm-hmm. responsibilities they have Things that need to get done. Well, and a paycheck. And a paycheck. Or these bills that require paychecks. Right. So you have the pleasure pleasure and the pain Mm -hmm. at play. Pleasure and pain at play. Mm -hmm. The big P's. The three big P's. You like that? Yeah. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But I might that's is, not the point. I might just name the podcast. that just for fun. The three Ps? The three Ps. <laughs> the three Ps in a pod? So, yeah, man. So, obviously, the podcast, we use it as an example all the time, mm-hmm. which is it's something that's on the calendar and, and something that we obviously rarely miss. Um, and when we were kind of thinking about you know, different uh, themes to chat about today. I always go to the source, Mr. Dan John, and pull open a, a random book, turn to a random page, and see what the man has to say, what the man has to write about. And flip to a chapter all about, you know, he kind of refers to it as free will, but really what it comes down to is decision-making fatigue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the examples that he gives is, you know, why I don't really know exactly how true this is because I haven't spent too much time in jail. But it's my understanding that a lot of people who are incarcerated get pretty jacked because, to be fair, they don't really have much else to do. They don't really have much freedom or autonomy outside of, you know, the basics. And one of those basics is doing push-ups in your jail cell, or pull-ups out on the yard, or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. and that stereotype of, you know, the jack guy behind bars, well, there's there's an obvious reason why that uh, is common, or why that can be the case, is because in a wild kind of roundabout way, they have the freedom to dedicate time and energy to that one thing, and when you're a free citizen out in the world, you're making you're you're free to make decisions every second of every day, mm-hmm. which leads to decision fatigue. Which, speaking to your point, if you had the choice, you may not have shown up, but you do not have the choice because I am here holding you accountable.
1: Or you know maybe I would make, um, and this is going to be an, I think this is going to be part of the theme that we're talking about today. If I didn't have some decisions already pre-made for myself, then I would maybe err on making poorer decisions relative to my fitness goals. Right? Like, it would be easier, for example, my gym happens to be within walking distance of a Euro place and Panda Express. And if I cross the street at the crosswalk, I can go to Firehouse Subs, I can go to Chick-fil-A, I can go to... Any number of fast food restaurants right outside my gym. I don't even have to get my car. But I get in my car and I drive home and I make meal prep. Or I eat, I reheat my meal prep that I made on Sunday. So the decision's been made for me. I would rather go home and do that than go stand in line at Firehouse or whatever. Well, let let me roll that back. I like Firehouse. I would love to eat Firehouse. But I decide to do the other thing instead. Yeah. Yeah.
0: One of the other examples that uh, Dan kind of mentioned and writes about is uh, the the real value of the personal trainer. Mm-hmm. And again, this is something that we've harped on a little bit before, which is uh, your personal trainer is really there as a creative constraint on your decision making,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, and Whether that means someone who writes your workouts for you so you don't have to think about writing your own or thinking about what to do. Mm -hmm. Or going to a gym to see your personal trainer so you walk in the door and your trainer takes over all the decisions. right? Or maybe you have a trainer that shows up to your house. Mm -hmm. And again, the barrier to entry there is exceedingly low you just roll out of bed and there i am Mm-hmm. calling the shots calling the shots
1: making you do kettlebell swings and stuff yeah.
0: I, I can imagine that's a nightmare for some people <laughs> rolling out of bed and there i am <laughs> yeah <laughs> but alas it's um it's it's something that if you have the the luxury in any of those scenarios the, the luxury to hire someone, to hire a professional, to hire a trusted expert, to take over some semblance of decision-making, that is oftentimes a shortcut or an unlock to results in progress. Mm-hmm. You, know?
1: you and I have done this before. Especially when work gets busy or life gets busy, I will sometimes hire my own coach so that they can take over my programming for me. And then I can I can focus on work when I'm working and then I can pull up my app or you know, email or whatever my coach sent me and I can get to work and check in and, and, and get out. Mm-hmm. And I like that because I make plenty of decisions all day long working with my clients. So having the to then go to gym five, especially lately at like three or four o'clock in the afternoon when I'm tired, it it gets tough. You went today. I didn't, I went for a walk. Um It gets tough to, you know, then show up and be like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I will say gym five is unique in creative constraints because sometimes you go in there and you're like, I want to squat. And usually gym five, you're going to have a squat rack. But not always. They might be all taken. Am I going to stand around, twiddle my thumbs and waste 15 minutes waiting for somebody to finish up? Or am I going to get moving on something else? Maybe I could start with deadlifts. Maybe I start with RDLs. Maybe you can just ride the air down. I don't know, but sometimes the room will make the decision for you. Mm-hmm. But, so that's why I like as a sidebar, being a yep. coach and like being familiar with the different exercise variations. It's easy to walk in that gym and be like, all right, I don't need that. I can do something else. Right. But but to your point, especially when you own your own business, or if you've got kids, especially if you've got kids. Um, or any other number of obligations, it's kind of nice to just walk into a gym or have a, your coach show up or have your coach send you an e- uh, email or program online and be like, hey, here's what you're doing today. Holler at me when it's done. Let me know how it goes. Mm-hmm. So,
0: Yeah. And there's also something to be said about the making the decisions, making decisions that make other decisions easier or, or, you know, like making, so for example, something like a personal trainer, hiring a personal trainer might be one decision that you make one time. Mm -hmm. If you find like a really good one that, that is then just going to have a domino effect. Same kind of thing, maybe in like where you choose to work out, Mm -hmm. you know, like, if, if you're equidistant from two gyms and maybe like it's, you know, all the same to you, maybe one of them could be, you know, the price points could be different, you know, the environment could be different, mm-hmm. but making that one choice to go to that one gym could, you know, lead to suddenly you making friends there or finding a training partner there or finding the personal trainer there. Mm-hmm. Or just you know, especially like in our case, finding an environment that is uh, inspiring and motivating to go to.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, so there's there's certain decisions that you know again hold hold within them all these other opportunities that make things uh, easier. Mm-hmm. So. You know, even thinking back to Mindy, who we had on last week,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: the, you know, being an Olympic lifting specialist, an Olympic lifting athlete, or, you know, just an enthusiast where you build your entire kind of training around these two lifts, that's like kind of one big decision that makes all these other decisions kind of fall in line. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, we pretty much know that we're going to be working on the Olympic lifts Mm -hmm. practically every day. You know what your accessories are going to entail, more or less, because they always kind of feed back into whatever your performance is on the Olympic lifts. So yeah, that's, that's kind of another kind of interesting kind of second and third layer to think about this conversation is is uh when you are faced with decisions try to make them strategically you know and i mean obviously this plays a part in um you know like relationships you know when i look at you know you and jesse having your first kids obviously a huge decision Mm -hmm. but there was a big decision that was made before that which is who you're going to settle down with mm-hmm. and probably some semblance of a big decision before that which is you know what you're looking for in a partner and, and that whole thing so when you make the important decision on step one that you know the first the first step in the journey can be the most important because it sets you on the right direction mm-hmm. if you just keep traveling in that direction you're going to head obviously that way so you, you can obviously make that same analogy and, and flesh out that same example with anything. Diet, training, your career, mm-hmm. hobbies, whatever else you uh, find yourself doing with your life and your time.
1: The other day when we were, I don't remember where we were, but we were in Austin. And we were talking about Westworld. Remember? Oh, yeah. yeah. So... One of my favorite scenes, not to try to spoil it for anybody, and some of y'all maybe have watched it, but, you know, there's this one um, pretty intense scene in the first season where Anthony Hopkins is sort of poking at human beings that have free will and autonomy, and they come to the park and they interact with the hosts, the irony being that humans are equally as predictable as the hosts are. Comfortable in their little loops doing the same thing over and over and over again And if you think about it, I do this. I drive the same route to work every day My decision on which way to come home will depend on traffic, but I have two Go to work, I listen to the same music, see the same people, I eat the same lunch when I come home Take my dog to the park, make some dinner, go to bed, do it all over again. Fairly predictably now That's not a dig but it is a lifestyle that has been exactly this, what we're talking about. Desi- like, lack of decision fatigue.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Setting up my lifestyle in a certain way allows me to move throughout my day with very little, like, cognitive load. Mm-hmm. The only thing I'd have to think about would be, like, food, like eating, and what I'm going to train today. But even those things have been streamlined over the years. Like, I meal prep on Sunday, all my lunches, at least through Thursday. Because I've learned that they don't keep as well by Friday. So, I meal prep four lunches for the week, and they're fairly predictable chicken, vegetables, maybe some rice or potatoes, whatever. I like getting up and eating the same breakfast every day. Even my breakfast and lunches are super predictable. I eat oatmeal, blueberries, protein mix, almond milk, stir it together, and then I make coffee and I drink that, and I watch the news before I go to work. So, I'm not, it's, part of this is at four o'clock in the morning, I'm not about to whip up some eggs a lot of effort to me to whip up eggs at 4 o'clock in the morning and also makes a lot of noise and my house isn't big so I'm not going to do that so I make my breakfast and it's the same every day and my lunches are mostly the same every day and they're in line with my nutrition goals so it's kind of like a twofer it's decision fatigue or managing decision fatigue and it's also in line with my nutrition goals and my fat loss goals and it's worked mostly I've lost 23 pounds in the last since December basically so all this is to say like we already all like i do this when it comes to fitness or like adding in the fitness component hiring a coach who's going to tell you I want to see you I don't know Monday and Thursday and I want to deadlift and I want to squat and I want to press and I want to carry like again it, it eliminates all that effort that you have to come up with the workout well what you know should I press dumbbells or a barbell or should I carry a sandbag or dump, you know, kettlebells or whatever. Like that, that's my responsibility as a coach. I just need you to show up.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So the fitness and nutrition thing, I I don't know if it necessarily has anything to do with motivation or discipline. I actually don't think I like those words much at all for my own fitness because I, I don't think it's that. I think I've just over time built a lifestyle that, reduces decision fatigue, it's part of my everyday habits. So it's not that I'm motivated more than the average person to go to the gym. I'm not. I just it's part of my routine. Just like getting up and eating my blueberries and oatmeal, just like driving to the same the same route to get to work, show up at the gym, hit a few lifts, come home, make dinner, go to bed. It's just part of my day. So I think if we stop looking at all the Instagram hype of motivation and discipline and you don't want it hard enough. I'm just like, it's not that at all. It's just, I've designed my lifestyle to, to fit my goals. Yeah. And even that took years. It's not like I did it one day and I was like, you know what? This is better. It's not like that at all.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it comes as an outgrowth from a couple core, simple decisions that you've made years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, Again, going back to like that Westworld example of how predictable we can be, especially, especially the further we get down a certain path, a certain lifestyle, you know, whatever. And yeah, you could call it boring. It's, you know, we're doing the same thing. We're running off the same patterns and whatnot. But it kind of has to be, it kind of needs to be, Mm -hmm. if you're going to be trending in the same direction. Mm -hmm. It's like if you're going, using you as an example, if you're going to run a successful personal, small group personal training studio in Nashville, and you're going to obviously take care of those clients, make the business a success, continue on with your training, getting stronger, maintaining your fitness obviously all the nutritional uh, considerations that go along with that the decisions the patterns have to be the same mm-hmm. otherwise we're talking about moving in two different directions or moving you know in a different direction mm-hmm. and that's fine but that's that's the beauty of having a few foundational goals, a few pillars in your life and just dedicating yourself to those. Mhm. You know, and again, the the drag with social media and the internet at large and comparing yourself to other people is it takes your focus off of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You see what other people are up to. Maybe I should have those goals. Maybe I should do this and that and the other thing. And I certainly keep your options as open as, you know, what's, what might be appropriate. There's always room to improve other things to work on other ways to expand your, your goals and your perspectives and all that stuff is great. But like, especially at a certain point in time, it's like dedicate the mental and emotional energy you need to, to make some core decisions and then just get on the path Mm -hmm. and stay on it. And I don't know, even though I find myself doing lots of the same things, obviously in, you know, business career training, obviously nutrition, all this stuff. um, It's repetitive but uh, it's boring sometimes, but I still, I, still find, uh, I still find a lot of joy in it.
1: I don't know if I find it boring anymore, the routine of it. Yeah. I don't know if I ever did. Actually, I think in large part, the more boring my training has become, the better my results have gotten.
2: Mm.
1: Like when I paired away, like, and this was kind of one of the veins of what we might talk about later. The fewer things that I did at an, a higher level, the better my results. Mm-hmm. And again, that's a decision fatigue thing. Well, shit, I gotta, I gotta do, you know, these, I'd like to do these 10 exercises. Well, what if I did five? But at the level that I would have had to put into those 10, what would that have done? Like, are my results better? Am I making more progress? And that's effectively what I did a few years ago and still do. I actually try to look at ways of simplifying my training, of paring it down even more. I've thought about going to a three-day full body for that exact reason. Because when I do four, uh, four-day splits, which is usually what I like to do, it gives me a little more time and a lot more volume on certain body parts. But if I went to a three-day full body and I wanted to keep my workouts within that hour, either I'm going to be busting ass or I'm going to pare things down quite a bit and look, like explore ways of doing few things exceptionally well. So, again, it's not so much like I have to do these, this whole book of exercises. I'm just going to do a handful really well and make fewer decisions and yeah. just go hard. I like that routine. I like the boringness of it and the predictability of it. Because I think what it does is allow me to go hard. Mm-hmm. You know, am I sitting here like, oh, well, you know, if, I, you know, if I'm going an RDL first and then I, I'd i like to do some pull-ups, but my grip strength is going to be, re- you know, shredded. So maybe a reverse order that's like, stop, just get to work. Whatever that looks like, just work. So yeah, I like the
0: boringness of it.
1: I, I'm into it.
0: Yeah. The example on the other side of that coin, to use myself as an example, that's uh, why I don't have more books on my bookshelf because i instead of instead of spending all my time reading one book i i stick my nose into four or five at a time Mm -hmm. and then i'm you know i gain traction on one and then i get bored and i go back to another and then i flip and i flop and then instead of Starting and finishing a book in a week or two, it takes me like months to finish any of it, mm-hmm. just because I'm always flip-flopping around. But again, on the other hand, there's a big, uh, there's there's at least maybe a good strategic decision on that front end, which is what books am I choosing to put my nose in in the first place? Mm-hmm. So, even if I am a slow reader and easily distracted reader, if it's just between a handful of good and valuable books, well, then it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. But
1: actually, I told you I sent an email to my clients. The most recent one was about I keep wanting to call it a law, it's not a law, rule, overload, specificity. They're not like laws. Are they? What do you want to call them?
0: What are you talking about? The the factors involved in principles, strength, and muscle gain?
1: Let's call them laws because I'm losing my words right now. So we're talking about, I mentioned specificity in this Mm -hmm. email. I think it's in line with what we're talking about. If you want to be a fairly generic, okay fit person, like, yeah, explore lots of stuff. Do whatever you want, doesn't matter. As long as you're working hard and enjoying it for the sake of movement, great. Do that. I'm thinking about this because your book analogy reminded me of this. The analogy that I used in mine was, at least when it comes to specificity with training, if you wanna get good at a lift, you gotta do that lift. Now, the, so the analogy I used is, let's say Zach, you wanted to learn Spanish. If you wanted to get really good at Spanish, would you learn French?
0: No. I would not. Hmm. But learning French might be cool. It would be cool.
1: So, I don't know. If you, if you just want to, explore, if you I, want to... It be very romantic.
0: I oftentimes fantasize about being able to You know, in fourth grade, French.
1: I took French. And then I, I, and then I actually got really good at Spanish. Fourth grade. fourth
0: grade. Fourth grade. Interesting. And then
1: I got really good at Spanish in high school. I excelled. But that's a story for another day. Mm. Point being, if you want to get good at Spanish... You might even go so far as to live in Spain for a period of time to get to just fully immerse yourself. Going back to the, like the fitness stuff, if you want to get good at squatting, you should probably squat quite often. Mindy, likewise, she does the Olympic lifts. She's probably not gonna. She might dabble in kettlebells occasionally just for fun, but she's probably not gonna be slinging kettlebells around so much as a barbell because it's not specific to her sport. So, if you want to learn French, Spanish. Portuguese, Latin. I think Latin would actually help all those, but if you want to learn all those, you could. You could, you could dabble and you'd be alright at some foreign language, maybe a little bit good at all of them, but you're not going to be great at Spanish. So, it's a deci- that's a decision to make. Mm-hmm. Do you want to be okay at fitness and kind of move and groove? Totally fine. Explore all, like, do it all. If you want to get really good or really strong at something? Dive on in.
0: Move into the country in question. Mm-hmm. You know?
1: Move, we, m- moving we, to squat territory.
0: <laughs> that's it. <laughs> move to the United States of squats. <laughs> yeah, it's something you hear all the time using that language example of the quickest way to get fluent is to move into an environment where that's all you hear, that's all you see, that's all you read. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And then it seeps into you, and you start dreaming in that language. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's another example that Dan John kind of gave, which is uh, going to camp. You know, in his case, track and field camp, or football camp, or, you know, whatever. Um, but, yeah, there's there's something powerful about being immersed in the environment, where everybody's doing the same thing, mm-hmm. and you... Again, you don't have the decision to get away from it. And that is one of the valuable things about, uh, let's say, in the kettlebell space, like these two, three-day certification seminars. Mm-hmm. You're just spending all day just drinking from a fire hose, learning about kettlebells, talking about kettlebells, lifting kettlebells, teaching them, coaching them, learning about them. Just nerding out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's, uh, it's, it's a nerdy thing and you you could get all the same information technically. You could still do all the same things technically on your own or spread out over the course of time. But our brains operate differently when we're in this uh, this immersive experience. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a really, that's a really cool thing. So, um, yeah, yeah. Just thinking about like a, like a, like a dream job scenario. That would be something cool to run. Would be like a five day training camp Mm. with like, you know, a small group of, you know, students where we just do like. Three workouts a day, continuing education, that kind of thing.
1: I think Dr. Ben House actually does this. Yeah. In Costa Rica. Mm. Like, I don't know. I think it's about five days. It might be a week. I think it's exactly what you're talking about.
0: That'd be real fun. Yeah.
1: You go to Costa Rica, train really hard, do continuing education, hang out
0: on the beach. Uh, This is something I need to look into. Okay.
1: We'll talk about it off air. Yeah. I thought about going, but I, I obviously haven't.
0: Announcing soon the A to Z training retreat. Yeah. That'd be fun. In Costa Rica. Yeah, why not?
1: <laughs> right <laughs> next door to Dr. Um <laughs> uh, No, I mean, you, again, like, I think tying this back in, and I think this sounds very self-serving because we're both coaches, but again, you and I have hired coaches. When, we're, when we really want to beeline towards a goal, we hire coaches. We get, you know, we get in line. We do the thing. We let somebody else tell us what to do, when to do it, and how hard to do it. And then that way I can focus on work. I can focus on, you know, building the nursery or whatever. And I don't have to go to the gym and be like, well, you know what? I don't feel like doing, I don't know, hack squat, double kettlebell front rack, whatever. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Um, So, yeah. I I don't want it to sound too self-serving, but the point stands you know, you can, you can kind of work your way through fitness and you might do great. You might figure it out on your own and, and really hit the ground running. But I think if you're ever struggling you're just with the decision fatigue or I don't like to use the word motivation or discipline because I don't like those words in this case, having someone tell you what to do and when to do it removes that responsibility so you can focus on other things. A, a, maybe a new client of mine, some guy I'm talking to, I told him exactly that because he was like, well, you know, I really want to figure out a few things on my own before I get into, I want to get in shape before I get in shape, basically. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to fight you on that, but just know that I can shoulder that burden. Like, I'll take that responsibility and you don't have to worry about it. You can focus on these other things that are important to you and I will tell you what to do and when to do it. So, yeah, I don't think it has anything to do with motivation or discipline. Just removing barriers. mm So, water flows downhill. Love it. (laughs) All right. You want to talk about the next thing?
0: Please.
1: Okay. I think it's honestly like very related, closely related. So, I was asking you off air. You've been telling me about your wrist roller. Mm Mm-hmm. So, tell us about your setup.
0: Yeah. So, my forearm strength, I feel, has always been a bit of a lesser strength of mine. Mm Mm-hmm. And obviously since starting jiu-jitsu, my grip has gotten a lot stronger, but it's also one of those, you know, uh, uh, links that is a potential vulnerability. Because, you know, obviously like in grappling, your grips are, are very, very important. And just, I mean, like beyond that, um, you know, in the same way that, you know, I work out my calves because... Who doesn't want sharp calves in short, short season? I'd like to, like to pump these forearms up a little bit. What can I say? What can I say? So, my, uh, my little <laughs> wrist roller rig that I, that I have here at home is I basically just took the fat grips, fat grip attachments, and I put them over a uh, PVC pipe And I have a resistance band that um, I looped through a jug of laundry detergent. Because that seems to be just about the right amount of weight. Mm -hmm. I don't have any weight plates at home. And all of my kettlebells are just a little bit too heavy. For now. For now. Probably also too much for that resistance band. Well, well, maybe. Um, But maybe I should actually use some rope here soon. But just for the sake of ease... You know, you just throw a resistance band around, and you roll it so it starts, you know, it tractions against itself. And, uh, yeah, that's what I've been using for a wrist roller here in the past couple weeks.
1: So we work on that forearm strength.
0: Yeah. You just go up and down for about a minute, and you get quite a burn going there.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so it's fun. My follow-up question was, do you think it's been a game-changer for your forearm strength? Probably physically, physique-wise, it's probably helped for sure, right? I, I think so. I don't think I have good forearms. You got decent forearms. Thank you. Okay, yeah, I can see that.
0: Well granted, I've only just started. It's only been a couple weeks.
1: Okay, so um,
0: and I'm not doing it religiously. But yeah, man, at the right angle, that's I have quite a little muscle belly there.
1: Look at that. Yeah. You also just got done lifting, so <laughs>
0: <laughs> Touche.
1: getting a little pump over. Touche. Um, so so alright, so it's too early to tell, but the question being is has it been a game changer for your grip strength in the gym for like let's say loaded carries? deadlifts, mm-hmm. you know, rows, pull-downs, all that. Yeah, It's probably a little too early to tell, right? I think so. Okay. So then they got us talking about if there's been one thing or, or, or some concept, some new something we did differently that has been a game-changer. So I'm not saying like, I don't know, something complicated or complex, but one thing that made a big difference in your training. And I had a couple, and they are in line with what we were just talking about. Did you figure yours out yet? It's kind of tough.
0: Okay. The reason it's kind of tough for me is because I I really cover so many bases. And I have since, like, my early days in training. What I mean by that is, is, like, I've tried to do, I've tried to work on everything. Mm-hmm. I've tried to work on all capacities endurance strength mobility sure i've i've tried to work all the patterns i've tried to you know do different styles of training Mm -hmm. obviously different implements obviously different exercises different techniques different variations so i've i've done a lot and it's it's kind of it's also kind of hard to (laughs) to pinpoint it because I also don't think I'm like super strong in any one given area mm-hmm. where I could be like, oh yeah, that that skyrocketed X Y Z lift. Sure. Um, there there have been things over the years. I would say. Um, I would say. If I'm if I'm thinking of things over the years. Something that I've done. Well and and I don't want this to sound
1: like at the at I'm worried about this risk that what we're saying is this is a quick fix. It's not what right, we're talking about. Right. So I'm not I'm not trying to lead into like, oh, what's your quick fix for this? Yeah. I'm just curious if there's one or a hundred, couple things that you've done that you noticed were big bang for your buck in terms of your training. Like yeah. you know, fat loss. Strength gains if you were like man I, I changed this up a little bit and it really worked for me
0: okay yeah well, there's something well I mean first of all for anyone who's listening um, always always fill in the gaps with what you know you're not already doing and like for me when I'm programming for people that's like that's like the first thing I attack like if you've never worked on your calves we got to work on your calves Okay. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. Um, but for me, for example, like in the deadlift, bringing my stance in super duper narrow into like a heels together mm-hmm. position um, is basically my preferred way to deadlift. Huh. Yeah. Nothing feels quite as strong consistently as like that duck stance, super narrow um, technique interesting yeah and and since since doing that um I've had minimal issues with um with my back deadlifting. mm-hmm so that that's one thing that kind of comes to me off the top of my head okay mm-hmm interesting yeah mine's a little different
1: um it's the things I don't do anymore that have been a game changer Oh, well,
0: that's something, that's something we could talk about there too mm.
1: Yeah. i used to i used to be really big into foam rolling mobility work you know my warm ups were long like ten fifteen minutes between foam rolling and mobility work. It took me ten fifteen minutes to start lifting a weight. I dropped all that a few years ago and two things I noticed the first was you don't I don't have a lot of pain when I don't go looking for it like my upper back. If I were to go lay on a foam roller, it would probably not feel great. But right now, and when I'm training, it feels great. So, go looking for pain, probably going to find it. All the mobility work, I'm not so sure my ROI was there, so I dropped it all together and I was like, "You know what? I'm just going to do the major lifts that I want to do at full range of motion and see what happens." And my body actually felt better. And my lifts took off, I don't think because of the lack of mobility work, but because I then gained back that time. So I was able to devote a little more time to hitting the weights hard, recovering between sets at a decent, you know, because when you got 60 minutes, I had to move a little bit, especially when 15 of it was spent foam rolling and mobilizing. And the last five was spent racing to the bathroom to change out of my workout clothes and back in my work clothes so I could go back to coaching. So my actual window of training was much smaller. So it gave me a little more time to work through some ramp sets, get comfortable, take a little more time off. And then I paired back the total number of things that I do by a lot. My lower body workout days now are about three exercises. That's it. And I'm not as strong as I have been in the past because of the bicep tear, the shoulder surgery. And I will remind everyone this shoulder surgery was not a lifting injury. It was a kickball injury. Um, but after I did, you know, especially especially before and after shoulder surgery, I spent eight months working on, the, the, on squat dead overhead press bench and a couple accessories. Eight months. And got as strong as I've ever been in my entire life. Blew out my shoulder playing kickball. Had to have corrective surgery. Six months of rehab. Plus some, like plus some time to get back into the swing of things. The second time that I started working on those major lifts, I recovered that ground from where I was and what I lost in four months. So doing less, but at a much higher intensity and much more intention. So fewer this and that, less this and that, less noise, Mm -hmm. fewer decisions. I can only do these three things. What are they going to be? Yep. And so... Going back to the specificity, decision fatigue, all that. Removing a couple of things made me go harder in the direction I wanted to go. And since 2018, when I blew out my shoulder and had surgery, I have been the strongest I've ever been and the leanest I've ever been. Twice. Mm. So, now, I'll chalk that up to a little bit more experience and knowledge and all that. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like, they were massive game changers, but they were mental shifts that allowed me to reach levels of fitness I've never been to before. And now that I've been there, I know how to do it. It's mm-hmm. so like, I've lost 23 pounds. I'd like to lose another 10. That last 10 has been fighting me a little bit, but I know how to do it. I know what I need to do because I've done it before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think other, other game changers certainly being, like, let's say with overhead press. Mm-hmm. Uh pretty much the only overhead press I ever do anymore is bottoms up kettlebell press.
2: Mhm.
0: Yeah. Um I think I think like the barbell military pr- <clears throat> barbell military press is fun of a lift as it is to do. I think is as great as it is for like upper body strength in general. Um you know, kind of it's kind of similar into the bench press. There, you're just flirting with a lot of iffy dynamics there. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I have found oh, especially getting tweaked so many times in jujitsu, oh, <laughs> get get my shoulder rocked. Um, I can go in. I, this is actually happened several times where I've just gotten destroyed to where I could barely put my hand over my head without pain, and I just work some bottoms up. Holds um, some bottoms-up floor press, and then ease my way into bottoms-up military press, and it usually clears up pretty darn fast. Mm. And
1: might borrow that because my shoulder's been
0: breaking. knock on wood. Um, like I've had minimal shoulder issues, even you know getting armbarred all the time. Mm-hmm. So. So that's fun. I will also say, I think we talked about this as well. You know, I started training my neck at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. That's made a big difference. Not only in jiu-jitsu. I think that's also made a big difference in my lifts. Because mm-hmm. I think, like, neck strength and control and tension is almost like a missing link with this whole idea of, like, maintaining total body tension mm-hmm. in, in lifts. So... I mean, big game changers for everybody should be, like, knowing how to breathe and brace Mm -hmm. for various lifts, knowing, like, how to create a strong mind-muscle connection with what muscles you're actually trying to use for certain exercises, you know, various various techniques that basically, um, like, allow you to Generate and maintain an appropriate amount and type of to- of tension mm-hmm. of-, of bodily tension. So sometimes just like teaching someone how to breathe right, how to how to take a deep breath, and maybe how to time their breathing with certain exercises can be a game changer. Mm-hmm. Actually, gripping your training implement hard mm-hmm. can be a game changer, um, and All this kind of goes back into, you could call it, priming the central nervous system, maximizing tightness, maximizing engagement, whatever you want to call it. But this is another reason why we should take a harder look at some of these joints or muscle groups or areas or patterns that we don't often hit because oftentimes that can like plug a leak Mm -hmm. or a gap. And so what I've noticed, like, having done like a lot of neck training is I can almost in the same way that I can flex my quads, glutes, abs, lats to get more tight, I can do the same thing with my neck, Mm. you know, which is pretty cool feeling, pretty cool sensation,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, so that that's been a big game changer there as well, especially with stuff like, um, man even even like in deadlifts just like the feeling of like aligning like your neck with your spine Mm -hmm. just kind of tightening up it's just a whole another layer of of that uh total body engagement Mm. you know and like when you're bench pressing floor pressing dumbbells any incline flat you know if you you know if you kind of Orient like your head a certain way and kind of like drive the back of your head against a bench. That's a whole nother tension technique for grinding out a lift. Not unlike squeezing the dumbbell harder, mm-hmm. you know, just to get a little, <clears throat> excuse me, just to get a little extra juice um, out of your, your rep. Hmm. So that's another example. Okay. Yeah.
1: I've got I think I've got one more and this is more like a this is more like a mindset shift and this is something I've learned in the last couple of years I haven't always thought this way um, you know I mentioned a minute ago that I was training overhead press bench press deadlift squat those are all bars like straight bars and that's all I wanted to train with and at the time I loved it and I still do there is still a large part, like part of me that wishes that I could overhead my shoulder just when I had the right one rebuilt the surgeon manipulated my left one while I was there because I and he was like yeah this one's going to need work that was four years ago and now it's I'm trying to avoid that so I like to barbell bench but it hurts my shoulder I like to barbell overhead press but it hurts my shoulder I like to barbell back squat but racking the bar hurts my shoulder and then deadlifts and it, you know, my grip strength is still recovering after the bicep tear. so And I just don't care anymore like I used to. When I stopped looking at the tool as the be-all end-all, like I got a barbell bench, I got a barbell back squat, I got a barbell dead, and started exploring other options. prime example is the safety bar. The safety squat bar I bought before I went into shoulder surgery because I knew I was going to be unable to rack a bar on my back for a long time. And I was like, I don't want to quit squatting. I I want to keep doing this. The safety bar allowed me to rack a bar on my shoulders and keep doing it. Not at the same level because my shoulder was in a sling and it was painful, but I was able to keep squatting. I didn't lose it because I could hang on with one hand and carefully navigate a squat and still work on techniques, still hit depth at lighter loads and keep that going during the entire rehab process. And over time, add to it because my shoulder w- would tolerate it. For example, first few weeks I was in a sling. I would hold onto the safety bar with one hand. Now, after the bicep tear, this is the second time I've done this. Hold onto it with one hand. As I gain a little bit of range of motion, I might put a finger on that hand- other handle. And just just to feel like I'm t- like doing something. As I gain a little more range of motion, kind of lightly grip it with that arm. Point being... Instead of being married to the barbell, I picked up the safety squat. And now it's my favorite because it doesn't bother my joints like the barbell does. And I can still do what I love to do. Same with the trap bar. I actually can pull heavier loads on the trap bar. So at the end of the day, if all I want to do is just be strong and feel jacked, who cares what tool I'm using? Whichever tool allows me to do that the fastest and the safest and without pain, probably need to rock that. And it's something I'm working with on my client, like when I work with my clients at the gym, especially if they're one by like somebody's barbell deadlifting, somebody's trap bar deadlifting. They'll be like, "How come I'm using this bar versus this bar?" And I'll tell them, I'll be like, "They've been practicing with that bar a little bit longer. We've been working with this one. I'm happy to make that switch, but here's been my experience coaching and training with the trap bar. Do you want to get as Jack? Do you want to be the fastest and the safest and the easiest?" I kind of like the trap bar for that tool. So I think that's been a game changer is that mental shift away from being married to certain tools and just looking at all the tools at my disposal and which ones may allow me to move the most weight the most comfortably. Because at the end of the day, that's all I care about. I'm not a power lifter. I've never competed. We've talked about this. You have. If I don't have to compete with a barbell in my hands, do I really need to train with a barbell? Do I have to? And the answer is no. I don't, have to, I don't have to ever touch a barbell if I don't want to. There's plenty of tools at my disposal. Forfeiting that mentality was also a big game changer for me. Because it allows me, especially going into gym five, and it's busy, and go in there and rip whatever I want. Because they're all tools and they're all good.
0: No arguments from me on that one, Andy Van. <laughs> Well, hey, as we wrap up here, I just want to say, uh, again, how great of a time I had with you and Jesse Riley Mm -hmm. this past weekend. Really happy and proud to have you guys as part of my team, part of my inner circle of colleagues and friends. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, it was a really special time. And, again, I'm super proud of you guys and and very happy and excited for you. Thanks, dude. Likewise. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a day late, but happy Father's Day.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, you said it on the plane. He said it on the plane, everybody. Yeah, well, they didn't They didn't know that. I know. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah,
0: totally. Well, cool, man. Well, good stuff. I think we've covered a lot of good ground today. Yeah. Yeah. So, before one of us passes out... Oh,
1: I was just going to say, thank you for the accountability and for being a good travel buddy
0: You're and most... training partner. You're most welcome.
1: I'm excited. Honestly, I am excited about Saturday because I feel like we'll both be like... Moving and grooving again. Oh, yeah.
0: Okay. Oh, it's on. All right. It is on.
1: I'll see you there.
0: I'll see you at <laughs> Yeah. Cool. Yeah, man. That'll be our first Saturday workout in a while. Yeah,
1: I'm ready to knock the rest loose. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's get after it.
0: Dig it, man. Well, that's it from us today. Mm-hmm. Stay safe out there. A to Z. No BS. And we will see you next time. Goodbye.